Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another version of Bill Roden Sports and Beyond. I don't got to say that, and beyond, because we kind of go a lot of different places. Um, here in Harlem, USA, high above the fray in Harlem, USA, here with uh, my friend and co-host, the great Jamal Murphy. Sounds, sounds good to hear that, but uh, yeah, I'm here again. Yes. Back in the house. Yeah, it, it literally is the house. An undisclosed location. <laughs> and, uh, so maybe you know, like. Yeah, you, you can't we, say anything. Yeah, we're going to blindfold you. We should have forgot to give you a blindfold <laughs> so you'd know where you were. Uh, we're really excited uh, to welcome our guest uh, today. Uh, really, really, uh, Jamal's talked a lot about you. I kind of knew about you, but I didn't know you were you. Um, <laughs> my guest is the great, uh, the wonderful. Mimi Valdez. Aww. Um yeah. That's yeah. a nice that's a nice compliment. The great. That's okay, nice. Everybody, everybody <laughs> That's his thing though. Yeah, but everybody well every, not, not with everybody. No, not, no, no. Everybody <laughs> doesn't get the great now. That's, that's a very you know, that's a very special designation. Aww, thank you. I appreciate the kind words. Yes. Uh <laughs> so Mimi is the chief I think a lot of people know you in your current role. Uh, you're the chief creative officer of I Am Other which is the media creative collective and record label production company founded by Pharrell Williams. Happy. Yes. <laughs> um, uh, and so, you know, I, I, I want to talk to you about that because you have so many roles. I wear many hats. Lots of hats. <laughs> so we want to get into some of those hats. Um, but what we're going to get to a little later, what people don't know, but what's very exciting is that you are also a, a producer, a movie producer, director, writer, uh, you are the um, co-producer of the 2015 movie Dope, which was a movie about the, uh, you can correct me, but a movie about the, the it's not dope. It's <laughs> dope know. as in, what? that's dope. Uh, <laughs> about right, about right. 90s hip hop culture. Uh, you're the executive producer, and this is really great. You're the executive producer of, of, of a movie that's going to be released in January of 2017 called Hidden Figures, which is... Um, the story is really exciting. It's a story. Well, it's a story of these three three mathematicians, black women, black women um, African American women who worked at NASA in the '60s and really helped uh, America win the space race. Mm. Well, I really want to get into that because that's yeah. again, those are these untold. Yeah, untold. no, exactly. Completely <laughs> untold. I, I have no clue. No totally. one knew. <laughs> no, to, and you know, it's funny. I mean, not that funny, but um, we had on a couple guest ago we had a uh, deborah um riley draper De debbie riley draper who is sort of your counterpart but she did the story about the 1936 olympics hmm. but about the 17 black men that nobody really knew everybody knows the jesse owens story mm -hmm, but mm -hmm. she did this story uh, about the 17 other black people uh on the team that nobody knew including these two women uh, who were the first two black women to make an olympic team and she told stories, and she and she discovered that story by telling the story of um, uh, this, this this black woman who was a trumpet player who was in a Nazi concentration camp. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, but so so Crazy. when I heard yours, so it, it's just you've got all these. No, untold stories. Yeah, it's an amazing <laughs> story. I mean, look, and we have to give thanks to Margot Shetterly, who wrote the book um, that comes out in September. Um, yeah, I mean, so proud and, and lucky to, to be a part of a story like that, a movie like that, to bring it to the big screen is very exciting. It's very exciting. We're going to get into that uh, a little later. Okay. Um, but, you know, uh, obviously everybody knows Pharrell. Uh, I mean, he was behind the scenes of a lot of great stuff before. Then he kind of blew up. Yeah, 2013. Right? We, we, uh, I remember that at the end of the year, people had were calling 2013 the year of Pharrell because mm. he started off with get lucky then it went into blurred lines and then it just exploded <laughs> with happy at the end of the year but when he that exploded you exploded because <laughs> then people start wondering well, wait a minute who's well the that? happy well the happy video was actually um my idea in the sense that we um we were you know pharrell had um who we trying to figure out doing a video for it and it, and, and i and i and i hate even saying it was my idea because it's it's i felt like the idea was in front of our face. I simply was like, oh, you should do what Gru does in the movie when Happy plays, which basically mm. the lead character, he realizes he's falling in love and he's happy and he starts dancing down the street. So I was like, oh, you should just do that. That was it. So I kind of don't even feel 
right taking credit for the idea. Take I the credit. Like, take take credit, please. Because <laughs> it was what? right was right there. <laughs> but then I also have to then again give credit to our amazing directors. We are from LA. Um, they were the ones that then kind of built on the concept and uh, came up with the whole 24-hour idea and, of course, was brilliant. And, again, an amazing, amazing experience to be a part of because it was really emotional, I think, for all of us to see something that we had worked on have that kind of effect. I mean, we felt like we had a really great idea, and mm. when we were doing it, we were like, oh, this feels like it could be big, but nobody no, could have predicted <laughs> what well, actually Tell me happened. about that. I mean, I mean <laughs> you know, I, I'll jump a little out of order, but... I know, you know, here at our, we, we run a little sports and recreation mm-hmm. program here, kids 7 to 14, and we bring in a lot of different people. As a matter of fact, I'm going to hit you up after this to come <laughs> okay. and talk. But the thing is, to young people, you know, we talk a lot about dreams. Yes. And a lot of times, you never, if somebody would have asked you when you were like 10, mm-hmm. 11 years old, mm-hmm. about this, this huge thing, you probably would have said, I don't know what you would have said. Yeah, you know. I, I think I would have thought they were crazy. To yeah. be honest, right? Because I'm 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 born and raised in the projects, Chelsea projects downtown. You know, not a lot of money. Um, you know, just being, um, you know, Latina and Afro Latina, Black Latina. Like like these are things I'm not supposed to succeed based mm. on where I came from and sort of my background. So yeah, if you would have told me that at ten, I would have just sort of been like, what? It's <laughs> like, but you felt that you feel like you felt that at ten that you you weren't supposed to succeed. Well, it's not not that I didn't support. Well, let me let me phrase it because my mom was very much about education and my grandmother like that's all that I heard in my house was like education, education, because their whole thing was like, get us out of (laughs) here. Like, please, (laughs) like, you know, you're smart, like get us out of here, be a doctor, be a lawyer, you know, like that's all I heard from my mom, Dr. Lori, Dr. Because that's all she knew in terms of success. success, Right. right? So that was what she was pushing for. So it's not that I didn't think that I couldn't succeed. I just felt like the world didn't expect me to succeed right? based on sort of who right. I was, my background and whatever. So I just felt like I had a lot of challenges and I just knew that I had to work harder than everyone else. I had to, you know, study. I had to, you know, concentrate that it wasn't just going to be, I didn't have a rich relative who just was going to hook me up with an opportunity. <laughs> right, right, you know, like right. I knew that that, you know, wasn't my reality. So it was more about um, just so knowing that I had the odds stacked against me and, and, feeling kind of excited and confident about, you know, what it was that I wanted to do. Because at that time, um, 10, let me see, 10, what did I, I, I don't think I had figured out what I wanted to do yet. Actually, mm. I'm, you know what, maybe lawyer, because I okay. was in my head okay. because of mom. So right. that was probably like, oh yeah, maybe I'll be a lawyer or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then I wasn't till teen years. Um, I was always um, great in English and I loved writing and, you know, reading and, you know, sort of those were always my best subjects. And I was fascinated with magazines since mm. I think I was three years old. I used to take mm. my mom's magazines, cut them up, do all. Wow. So I was, but it never dawned on me that it could be a career. Right, mm. right. And it was a next door neighbor of mine, you know, sometime in, you know, maybe a, maybe high school, 14 or 15, that she simply was like, you'd be good at that. You should, you, you know, you could get a job in that. And I was like, huh. Like it just clicked, right. you know? Like I was like, and I, that's another thing that I think is really important that, as human beings, we have to encourage the youth because it was that simple statement of just someone saying you can do that made me go, oh, okay, maybe I, you know, I need to consider that. Meanwhile, my mom was like, what? Go to law school. (laughs) Go to law school. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same thing. I had the same thing about journalism and being a sports writer. I said, you know, it must have been really late, like 18 or something. Hmm. So what, you get paid for doing this? Right. You know, but you, but the whole idea is you just have no idea, particularly a lot of our kids. Mm -hmm. You just have no idea. You don't know of all the possibilities. Oh, the possibilities. You sure don't. You sure don't. So, so take us back. I mean, I I wasn't going to do so like a a, a month by month of your career, (laughs) but, but you, 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 let's, let's kind of how you might do this in a, in a movie where you're standing next to whatever the high point Tell me what the high point of you when you're saying you never could have believed. Let's say the high point, 20, 2013, is it? 2013, the year of Pharrell, yes. <laughs> the year of Pharrell. Mm-hmm. And there must have been a moment when it was just, it was, it almost reached its. Well, apex. here's what happened. Because of that success, a lot of opportunities started coming our way. And he's with William Morris, um, the agency. And Pharrell had always wanted to get into movies, but hadn't kind of figured it out yet. Mm. And so once all the success happened, 
you know, everyone on the team, I think we all naturally were like, okay, how can we use this success right, to parlay right. the next um, right, right. situation? Like, what can we do? And so they, you know, our, our agents at William Morris knew that we had wanted to get into movies. So this project came by dope, um, pass, mm. um, was, was introduced to us and it was simply like, oh, we have a writer director. He has an idea. He mm. didn't have a script, nothing. It was just an idea. Will you meet with him? So when we went with him, he didn't say this, but I remember coming away from the meeting being like, oh, okay, nerds in the hood, navigating all the drama and, you know, figuring it all out. And I was like, oh, I could relate to that because mm. that's how I grew up. That's how Pharrell grew up. So it was, I think at that moment, so that's, I guess, 2014, um, that I realized that, oh, wait a minute, this could be a really great opportunity for me because I had these journalism roots for those um first two years, two, three years, um, well, two years, I guess, working with Pharrell, we were so dedicated on sort of him and sort of getting his whole career back together that while I was doing a lot of cool, creative stuff, I wasn't necessarily telling stories, which is, again, what I love, which is why I loved magazines, why I loved journalism, why I majored in journalism at NYU. So I think it was at that moment of working on Dope that I was like, oh, I need to, I need to do this. This is what I need. This, this is the next thing for me. Mm. So let's, let's, look, let's go back to that high moment. Now we, we go back when you're 10 and you're growing up in, in the projects and you're this uh, Latina woman, this Afro-Latina woman. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the major steps that led you to standing, to stand next to Pharrell at that moment, uh, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17? When you look back on it, what are sort of the key moments that kind of led you to that to that, well, that moment. A, a couple things. Um, because I was naive, once my neighbor put that in my head that I, you know, I could work in magazines, and then I researched that um, the magazine industry was basically here in New York City. So in my head, I was like, well, of course I'm going to get a job at a magazine, right? People come from all over the world to come, you know, get a job at magazines. I live here. Like in, in my <laughs> naive mind, I felt like, oh, I can, I can do that. So I had this sort of very um, tunnel vision of like, okay, I'm gonna major in journalism, and um, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a magazine job. But I still had my, well, I'm gonna try it. If it doesn't work out, I'll go to law school. Mm. That was my plan. Like I was like, I'm gonna try this magazine thing. Luckily, um, Quincy Jones was just starting um, Vibe Magazine. I was lucky enough to get an editorial assistant job there. And that was an amazing experience mm. because I was, again, even though I loved magazines, it never dawned on me. I just assumed I was I'd work at a women's fashion magazine because right. it didn't really exist, right? Hip hop magazines and urban music culture. And the source came a little later, but it wasn't until Vibe that when I saw that first test issue and they just kind of put it out there to see if the marketplace would, would uh, um, respond to it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is it. This is where I need to work. It combines everything, magazines, my love of hip hop. So Vibe was a very um, big turning point for me because not only that did I eventually become editor in chief, it's where wow. I first met Pharrell. Like we, oh, okay. I interviewed I him. Yeah, that. that's yeah. where that's where we first met, and I interviewed him on the phone for an article, and we really clicked and connected. I felt like he was very special and different than what I'm used to. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of. Right. You know, you're in the industry and you meet so many people, and he was just so honest in that interview. I remember. He was, um, this is when the Neptunes was, they were just starting to explode. Mm-hmm. And he was so, again, very honest about like, oh, everyone's calling us thinking like, we're the answer. We're not the answer. Like, we're just, <laughs> we just want to make music. You know, that pressure of like, feeling like, oh, the Neptunes are going to deliver a number one pop hit. And I just was like, wow, he, I don't know if he should be saying this to a <laughs> journalist, but I appreciated it because it was so honest. So then when I did the Justin Timberlake cover story for Vibe, um, the Neptunes did most of that album. I went down to Virginia and spent a lot of time and that's when we sort of connected and immediately, weirdly enough, because as a journalist, you're not supposed to do this, but we became really good friends, like mm-hmm. a very kind of brother sister relationship. But it worked because we both didn't expect anything from each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he didn't expect anything from me because of my position. I didn't expect anything from him. As a matter of fact, lots of times I would hear stuff and couldn't repeat it because I'm like, right. this is not fair. Like I'm here and in capacity as a friend I can't right, right, then be right. like have my journalist hat on like oh what's happening so <laughs> my rule was always be like all right I needed to hear it from at least two other sources right, before right. I would you know because so that, that was maybe a little tricky for me but we made it work and then you know we were friends it's actually 15 years now that since wow. then that we've been been friends and then um when he decided to start I Am Mother he um 
he asked, um, you know, if I would join on. And I had actually recommended a, a, another really good friend of mine um, to come work with him. And they were like, well, why don't you come on too? And at first I was like, all right, this is either going to be a nightmare right. <laughs> working with right. like two of your best friends or it's going to be awesome. And it's been awesome. Really? I mean, that must have been a big step too to find you to, to jump out of the whole journalism thing. Yeah, no. And it, then get into it was into it, the business. it was very scary because, you know, so after Vibe, I eventually went on to Latina. I was editor in chief there. And. And th what I will say, I think the way Pharrell convinced me was because he was like, look, you love content. And, you know, eventually I want to do movies. I want to do TV. And here's an opportunity to do all types of content. And I think while that kind of scared me, it excited me at the same time. And I was like, you know what? You know, it's, it's you know, being at Latina, being at Vibe, I was editor in chief. So once, once. You were the boss. I was the boss, right? <laughs> so it's like you get to those levels and, you know, eventually it's like, there's only so many places you can sort of go. And I just didn't know if I had, I wasn't sure if I had a real um, opportunity to go to other magazines. Cause if, you know, it's like, you know, what, I don't know. I just, I guess it was, I was unsure whether or not that was where actually. Else, where else were you, would you go if well, you were going to stay well, in If I would have stayed industry. in magazines, I mean, be, I think part of, I've always loved women's fashion. So that was always kind of an, uh, you know, a possibility, but that opportunity didn't come, right? It didn't, it didn't, um, it didn't manifest itself. And then I think at the time I was, um, I was working with BT right before when P um, said that he was going to start I Am Mother. And he just, again, I just looked at it as a challenge. Like, you know what? This could be actually really cool. I would love to do movies and TV. Like, let's figure it out. And so, you know, that was 2011. And the first two years, we were really focused on him. Like, mm. we were like, all right, what can we do? You know, he was in the studio working with artists and just trying to kind of build out the plan. And then really at the top of 2013 is when everything finally hit. And that's when, you know, first with uh, Get Lucky by Daft Punk and then Blur Lines, Robin Thicke, and then as the as someone I think I've read somewhere, they called it a victory lap. Happy was the victory lap for her at oh, the yeah. end of the year. A, a big, a big time victory <laughs> lap. A huge victory you lap. You know, at the end of 2013, because that was November 21st. That was the day that we put the video up. I remember it distinctly in my head. And so. weren't you in the video? Yes, I'm in the video, but I'm in the 24-hour version okay. video. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I am. I am. But the, but the, mo the movies and TV thing, you said it's always something you wanted to do. But is that something you had really thought about while no, you were editor? No, oh, no, no, no. Well, we and, and at, at Vibe, as editor-in-chief, we did we did an award show, and I was executive producer, one of the executive producers on that. We did a news magazine show every week, a syndicated show. I was a co-executive producer on that. Um, it had been in my head. A really good friend of mine, Cheo Hodari Coker, who um, he, uh, uh, another journalist um, turned, turned screenwriter, he... Um, he did the Notorious B.I.G. movie, okay. right. um, and he's actually the showrunner, executive producer of the upcoming Luke Cage um, show on on Marvel, on Marvel's Luke Cage on Netflix. He, from the 90s, he was like, Mimi, I think you'd be good in Hollywood. And I was like, mm. yeah, really? And he was like, yeah, you'd be good. Because he, he always knew he wanted to be a screenwriter. But, you know, again, you just... How, unlike the magazine industry, which was in New York, and I was so naively confident, like, of course I'm going to get a job there... Hollywood always felt like a fantasy, far away, like, can't, how do you do, like, how do you even do that? How do you, can you get into movies? So it was never right. a concrete thing that I was like, sort of like, oh, okay, how do I do it? But when the opportunity came across my desk, yeah. <laughs> I pounced. And, you know, and I guess that's, because <clears throat> I've been trying to get to this concept of if you're a 13, 14, 15 year old person listening to this and you're kind of thinking, how am I going to succeed? Mm -hmm. And you mentioned one thing. I remember a long time ago when I uh, interviewed Julius Irving. This was a long time mm -hmm. ago. We are kind of the same age, ancient now. But, <laughs> but I remember he said something about, you know, you have to dare to be great. Yeah. And when I thought about sure. it then, you say, yeah, okay. But then as you, as you get older, you realize that, that, that you have to dare to be great because it does take an act of courage, an act of self-confidence. It does. I totally agree with that. And what I would add is that I think that it's really important to stay curious. I feel like curiosity has sort of led my ambition or driven my, you know, sort of career in so many ways because I think, you know, when you're in kindergarten, everybody's curious. And then as we get, adult, you know, get older and as adults, I think people kind of lose their sense of curiosity. I'm as a journalist, just because I was trained as a journalist and just I'm a, I'm a person who just loves people and culture and, and I'm always like, you know, I want to know more. And I think it's important to 
continue that as you get older because that I think is what has led me to wear so many hats throughout my career because I'm like oh what's that oh I want to see what that is oh what's that what's that okay what's it you know like I've always sort of jumped around because I think that I'm just naturally curious and I think if you feed your curiosity on a consistent basis and are always sort of looking for whatever that next thing is or just just you know I think a lot of times people think like okay well you're in I don't know, whatever field you're in, um, hip hop. And that's that's it. You have to know everything about hip hop. Sure, you should know everything about hip hop. But in order to be really successful in hip hop, mm. you'll be more successful if you know a bunch of other things, like other kinds of music. Mm. I don't know, architecture, whatever it is. Like all these, everything but informs. sometimes it all comes together. It totally all comes right. together. It totally comes together. I mean, our best MCs are the, are the most well-read ones. Like mm. Jay-Z is... You know, he, he reads books, <laughs> and then that's right, obvious right. by his rhymes. When you re, you know, when you when you uh, listen to him, so it's like I just think it's important to whatever it is that you love and you want to do. That's great, but be well versed in the world. It's it's super helpful. Our guest is the wonderful and beautiful. Oh, thank uh, you. <laughs> when we start doing our our video podcast, I mean, yeah. people will also be able to see too. But for now, just take. My <laughs> word for it. Is, uh, the wonderful Mimi Valdez. She's a creative officer of I Am Other, which is the media creator collection, uh, collective and radio label production company of Pharrell Evans. What kind of Pharrell Evans? <laughs> That's a guy, a friend of mine. Who works for <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> Sorry, Pharrell Williams. We like to have you on the show. Uh, but <laughs> tell me, what you wear a, a, a ton of hats. You know, that's where you said joking before yeah. we did that. I'm like, you do a lot of stuff. Um, what, I mean, just briefly, I mean, not brief, but what do you do? What, what do you, what do you it, all your It really depends. Yeah, it, de- it depends. I mean, now in sort of, you know, my titles is chief, chief creative officer. And then also, you know, um, you know, in Hollywood, I'm known as Pharrell's producing partner. And all that means is that, you know, I'm just out there always looking for projects, whether it's reading scripts, whether it's meeting with other producers to see what projects they have Mm. that could be interesting, whether it's reading an article and trying to figure out whether it can be turned into a story, whether it's um, meeting with network executives, seeing what's going on with, you know, whatever slate they have and seeing if we can be a part of it. Obviously, you know, movie studios as well. Like, it really varies on day to day but I'm 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 a you know I'm a storyteller first and foremost so I'm constantly always looking for stories that can can be told in the visual medium now with my sort of new role with concentrating on film and TV uh, how did you get to NYU? You, you, we we kind of got to the ten year old girl yeah. who was kind of figuring out yeah. uh, how to get. Out. But how did you get to NYU? So NYU from the time I was nine years old. My mom um, kind of threatened me, <laughs> said I had to get in because she had just gotten a job at NYU Medical Center. Oh, wow. And one of the benefits is if your <laughs> child gets into school, free tuition. Wow. So that's all I heard from the time I was nine years old. So I had to get in or else. did it. Yeah, and you I did, did it. it. Oh, but that's yeah. all I heard. I was threatened my whole life. <laughs> okay, that's a lot of money. I mean, that's a, yeah. That's a big. Listen, and it was funny because at first I was so, um, while you know, I knew NYU was a great school, my mom was so strict with me and I grew up with my mom and my grandmother, and, you know, all-girl Catholic school, St. Jean's um, High School over here on 75th between 3rd and Lexington. And I uh, you went to a Catholic school. Yeah, you, all girl Catholic school. Yep, <laughs> I'm on one of those grammar schools. Well, so they were so strict with me, and I couldn't do anything. So part of me, I wanted to go away for college, and which of course they were like, my mom was like, you cannot go away to college, you know. And I was like, well, I might want to go away, and I was playing around with it, and then I was like, you know what? Here I have this opportunity. If I get into the school, it's free tuition. It's in New York. I don't even know my own city. If I go away to college and people are like, oh, yeah, have you ever been to wherever New York? I'm not going to know what they're talking about because I haven't experienced my city. So I was like, let me just stay here and, you know, let's just try to get into this college. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Let me ask you that. We're going to take a break in in a minute. But what's the difference? I I love L.A., there's no place like New York. No, there's no but place like New York. How, there is no place. Like, I, mean, <laughs> I just told you know. But it's interesting though to go. You know, I figure well, in the ideal world, I mean, I love the West Coast. Mm-hmm. I Me mean, too. Just, as soon I love as I LA. land there, yeah, I'm like, yeah, because you know, the LA still has that little craziness. 
that you kind of need. What's the difference as you go back and forth? What's the? What, I'll what tell the you what the essences? difference is, especially now. Like the first time I ever went to L.A. in the 1990s, I remember thinking like, oh, OK, it's, you know, it's, it's cool. It is what it is. It's a little, you know, very different from New York. Now I find given that New York is not the New York I grew up in, right? It's just very, <clears throat> it's just a very different, different place, whether it's like super expensive rents mm. or just, you know, all these you know, my grandmother, when I was younger, used to say they, they're make they going to make Manhattan for the rich. And I was like, Absolutely. what is she talking that's what, that's about? That's what Bill says every day. <laughs> you <laughs> that's know, right. Right. So, so just that, you know, it's becoming harder and harder for creative people to live here, to, to, to make a living, for diversity to really thrive in, in the city. I mean, it still exists. Um, but it's, it's, I don't know, you, you just feel the difference from when I was, you know, born in 19... like they have to rent poor people or something. What well, no, reason? you know, it's like, I think of, like, I was born in 1970, so I think of, like, you know, from then to now, like, it's just changed so, so much, whereas, so now I feel like in L.A., because it's cheaper, because you have all-around great weather, a lot of New Yorkers are flocking to L.A. because it's like, there's just so many opportunities out there, especially if you're trying to do entertainment, where the music business is basically moved to LA. Hollywood obviously has always been there. Tech business is out there. There's just there's just more opportunity and the weather is amazing. Oh, <laughs> paradise. Weather is amazing. Yeah. You know, but you know it, and it used to be um, it used to be uh, a friend of mine. We had Ron Carter on, on the show, the great bass player. But he was telling it used to be uh, and I'm you know I, I used to write about the music. I'm into jazz, that kind of stuff. And it used to be when guys would go out to the West Coast you know, New York guys would say, okay, don't spend too much time out there because, you know, you got to come back here and get the edge right, back. Right, right, right. But, but you're right, exactly right, because of the economics, because, y you know, it's almost, uh, I, I wouldn't want to go as far as saying the creative essence is leaving New yeah, York. I'm but not you gonna, have to be very careful. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I agree with you. Because the thing that L.A. will never have that New York has, like, you know, just getting on the train or walking down the street right. and seeing so many different types of people right. and, 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 and that energy and those, those textures, that you can't really the, find in the L.A. The closeness to people. Yeah, just the closeness and to the people. Just he, and hearing right. conversations and, and seeing people and seeing how people are interacting, like that. And pace. Uh, just all of that. Yeah. I think, like, as much as I love L.A., I always think I'll it'll be a back and forth kind of thing for me because right. I, I I need the New Yorkness right. of things. Like, you know, I just, you just need that. You almost that, have to I plug think. in. You know, it's, it's funny when you fly back into New York after you've been away for, like, about two weeks. I always feel, after I've been on the West Coast, which I love, whether it's northern, southern, mm -hmm. even in, I, I consider Las Vegas even. Mm -hmm. I step my, you mm -hmm. know, but, but after about a couple of weeks, you we like, okay, it's time to, I'm just kind of, okay, it's time to get back. Because, you know, you want to literally go out at any time at night and be surrounded by people. And it's so funny, when you fly, when you land back, you know, into, uh, into Kennedy, it's, it's funny, you just immediately feel the energy. Yeah, you, I mean, you, you just feel that. It's, it's true. You know, anyway, so listen, we're going to take a quick, <laughs> we're okay. going to take a quick break. Uh, we'll be back. Uh, we're going to talk about movies, okay. your movies, with Mimi Valdez, the wonderful Mimi Valdez. We'll be back in just a couple seconds on Bill Roden on Sports and Beyond. with Mimi Valdez and my friend and co-host, the great Jamal Murphy, hanging in from Brooklyn. <laughs> deep, not too deep. Not too deep, I know. I know, it's, it's where you live, is that, that's gentrified, right? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> uh, that's, that's been gentrified over there. Been gentrified. I mean, I'm in like South Slope, Park Slope area. Oh, man, it's just the whole thing is, I, you know, I lived in Park Slope, too. Okay. At the point where bought a little, it's another lifetime ago but brought a little car right there on Grand Army Plaza. Oh okay. And yeah. every time I walked by I mean it just sold maybe five years about for a half million. More yeah. than that I'm sure. Yeah. Well then then but every time I walk by the place I almost break down <laughs> and oh, cry. Yeah. But then I, I had to yeah. remind myself yeah. and I go down this whole memory lane of if I knew then but that's mm -hmm. it and I had to remind myself, my brother, 
you are where you are. Yeah. And you know, that yeah. kind of you false can't, yeah, talk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's you, you will you know, you'll just beat yourself up. You just gotta let that go and be like, Look, that's what it that's what felt right at the time. I'm gonna stick by it. It, didn't it is what it right is. At the time. <laughs> <laughs> that's the same as you fucking up. You knew you were fucking up then. <laughs> yeah. However, but it's relational. Uh, uh, anyway, listen, um at the beginning of the show we talk about these 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 uh you're really now getting into being a producer, yep. an executive producer. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell us about you. You 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 did dope. Yep. Uh, which came out in 2015. Yep. Last year, last summer. So just to, and, and now on Netflix now. <laughs> on, oh really? Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix now. Yeah. I, in my little home office here, I've got the big screen. I've got Netflix. I, I wrote it down because I want to go. Yeah. No, like, no, no. You check, check it, it out. Check it in. But <laughs> I'm very. I want to hear about that. But I'm really, really, really excited about Hidden Figures, which yes. is coming in in, yeah, in January. January. Tell us about that because that's really a big yeah, deal. Yeah. No, that's really exciting. So that again, talk about just. This was random how this even came about. So Donna Gelati, legendary Hollywood producer, um, Shakespeare in Love, The Reader, Silver Linings Playbook, all movies that got nominated for Best Picture. She actually won for Shakespeare in Love, one of, I believe, six female producers who have ever won the Oscar. And all those movies, the lead um, won for Best Actress as well. So she just, you know, she's she she's she has a really good streak in Hollywood. So I had a meeting with her about another project. And then we just started talking. I was like, oh, what else are you working on? And then she, she starts telling me about hidden mm. figures, NASA, mathematicians, mm. African-American women, Virginia. And I I might have fell off my chair. Like, oh. I was so like, wait, what? I said, no, 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 listen, listen, listen to me. I was like, Pharrell will do anything for us to be a part of this project. Wow. Please let us be a part of mm. this project. And I think at first she was kind of taken aback, like, well, you know, because I think she was she had just sold it to Fox 2000. She already did the screenplay. You know, she was she had already identified a director. It was kind of everything was already done. So I think she was looking probably looking at me like, well, what are you guys gonna do? Right. Like, how you know, it's kind of done. But I was like, look, let me put you on the phone with Pharrell. Mm. Next day, I put her on the phone. We had this conversation. Pharrell, you know, is from Virginia. You know, obsessed with NASA ever since he was a little boy. Wow. You know, totally. You know, all pro women. That's you know, most of the people he has working for him are women. And so we just sort of made a case. We begged. We begged. We begged. That meeting happened when I met with her it was last July. We met with the studio in October. Elizabeth Gabler, head of Fox 2000, and um, again, just you know, we we. We made a case. We were like, look, let us be involved. For I was like, you know, I want I can do the music, I can do this. And he had already been working on sixties inspired music, but not really knowing what he was gonna do with it. And I think at one point he was like, Oh, maybe it's an album. As soon as this project came about, I was like, It's wow. for this. <laughs> this is this is where that music is right. for. So then we just kept talking, talking to them, you know, read the script. Um, Marcus Shetterly, an amazing journalist who um, was in the process of writing the book. So we were doing the movie while she was still finishing the book, which was crazy. But um, it wasn't until, um, I guess, we started pre-production in January, but we were still kind of figuring out our deal. Like, it was still a big question mark. So it wasn't until March that the deal finally closed and we got on this project. But, man, we were we were desperate because we were like, this is, this mm. is important and we need to be a part of this story. And tell me, oh, by the way, I just want to let you know, you mentioned Shakespeare in Love. Uh, the bedroom was right there. Really? It was right there. Oh my fact, God, that these, is so crazy. They put these doors here uh, just to make it, but the bedroom was there and the whole thing. But Shakespeare in Love, that part was shot uh, Oh, right that's here. crazy. Yeah. Wow. So just, <laughs> little movie, movie <laughs> trivia. Yeah, no, um, but uh, tell tell us the story because it's really it's a it's a phenomenal hidden story. Yeah, no, I mean you know 1960s. You know this was a time where you know everyone was freaked out about Russia and Russia. You know was doing all the space exploration and we had to kind of you know kind of figure it out. And uh, NASA had well, I guess after the war they had to hire women to you know do a lot of these calculations. And then I think they got desperate and they're like, all right, well now we need to hire black people because we need more <laughs> more 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 hands you know doing this sort of or more brains. So that's how Katherine Johnson, um, Mary Jackson, and Dorothy Vaughn you know came to to NASA and get these um, careers. And you know these were sort of you know middle class, highly educated women living in Virginia, and they participated mm. in such a huge way um, to, I mean, a couple of missions, but specifically the, the movie focuses on John Glenn's um, mission, which was first uh, human space orbit. And, 
I mean, again, like he wouldn't, John Glenn and, and you know, the, this, um, I don't know if I'm giving too much of the movie away, but I think this has been documented, but he, this was when the IBM computers first got to, um, to NASA and they were still kind of testing them out and trying to figure it out. John Glenn didn't trust the IBM. So mm. before the launch, he was like, I'm not going up, have Catherine wow. check the numbers. So she checked the numbers of this, like, he would not go into orbit <laughs> without wow. knowing she had like, you know, he didn't trust the computer. Sister. Yeah, right, a sister. Right, right. You know, I mean like that, that is a, that's a crazy story and no one knew this. And this is what Margot, you know, Shetterly, um, you know, it's in her book and, and, and uncovering this fact. And, and this woman is, I mean, and she's still alive. She's yeah, 98. Catherine, yeah, Catherine Johnson is 98 years old. Actually in this month's Vanity Fair, they have a beautiful portrait of her by Annie Leibovitz and a story um, you know, and she was honored with, um, and I'm always forgetting the name of the highest honor that the that the Presidential oh, Medal of Freedom. Medal, Medal of yes, Freedom. Yes, she yeah. was honored um, last year. Obama wow. put that right wow. around her neck. She was sitting there in her wheelchair. I mean, mm. this is an extraordinary woman who is very confused by the hoopla. By the way, she does really? not understand. <laughs> like she's like. I just did my job, right? Yeah. Like, you know, because to her, numbers were, that's it. You're either right or wrong. She did her work. It's not a big deal to her. But, you know, this movie with Taraji P. Henson and mm. Octavia Spencer and Janelle Monet playing the, the three lead characters. Kevin Costner is the head of the space program. He's awesome in it. And, again, just so amazing um, to be, a, you know, someone like him to be a part of a project. And I think everybody, cast and crew, we all knew how important mm. the story was. So the energy on set was very like, we gotta get this right. Like this is this is an important part of history. This isn't just about making a good movie. This is telling these women's stories and hopefully in the process, inspire a new generation to consider STEM careers, you know, science and math. Like these things are really important. Like we're all in entertainment and sure it's cool and fun and I think we provide, you know, some service of just you know you know impacting and and, and influencing in, in our little way, but the world cannot exist without math Reading, and science and arithmetic. <laughs> Go, going point. to space. You know, like <laughs> these 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 are things that like you know. So if, if in that, that that was a personal goal for Pharrell and myself that we were like, man, if we could get you know young girls and just young people in general excited about like look what math can do look what science can do look look what you can look the kind of impact you can have on the world that was important to us what, what impact i mean you mentioned at the very beginning you described yourself as a, as a latina but also as an afro latina mm -hmm. are, are there are there enough images and i know i'm thinking you know once hillary i i hope wins the president yeah, now, yeah. Just, just because the alternative is just yeah let's let's just put it out there that hillary's winning because yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. we have or else to. you talk about space that sunrise <laughs> says space will be the place yeah. <laughs> that's just i think we're I'm all going, going to yeah, we're, we're all going yeah. without, no. without the numbers yeah exactly <laughs> just, exactly just but i think i think that's why the, there was such a excitement too about this movie because ultimately yes they were black women but this movie is about females right mm -hmm. like this is about like you know this is a female story and and I think that that's really relevant right now in the sense that you know you have um you know Hillary running and I you know I, I think we you know we're all crossing our fingers that she wins in November so we're going to go into this being in the air and and there are not enough inspiring female mm -hmm. stories and I think that's why this movie also has some global appeal because it is about you know a strong female first of all we've never seen this level of brilliance in women let alone black women on the screen it just like it just, just hasn't happened like this kind of like it's like non-existent which is crazy are, are there enough are there enough a positive models also about latina women because you, you know, know we, we're talking about hidden stories yeah no i i mean look they they exist but again we haven't we haven't seen them on the big screen, and I think that's what you know. Pharrell and 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 our you know our goal with I Am Other and continuing to produce movies and TV is like, you know, we obviously you know we're interested in 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 all stories, but we're especially interested in the ones that haven't been told, and the ones that haven't been told are the ones mostly of people of color, and right. and and just 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 interesting, um, you know, just finding finding things that because to us like even though dope predominantly black faces, you know, hidden figures. I guess it's, you know, the leads obviously are, are all black, but there's, you know, a lot of um, white character um, supporting roles in there as well too. But even, I think it's important that 
even when there are predominantly people of color as the dominant cast, what's important to us is that it has a universal theme because if it right. has a universal theme, we believe it can appeal to anyone. You know, as as people of color, we've been watching quote unquote white movies for years, right. but we've right. but Tarzan. the ones, you, you know, the ones the ones that we relate to, the ones that it's a universal thing. It's like a human, a universal um theme that we all can relate to. That's right. what makes a successful well, movie. If you look back at like whether it's the color purple color the color purple or coming to america or you know whatever like movies those did really well. it wasn't just black people going to see those movies everybody went that's to right, see those movies right. because they appealed to everyone the story the was human, so good right. and it was that human you know so i think right. that's what we're trying to do is like okay yeah so maybe these these movies maybe have predominantly people of color but anybody can relate to them and that, that's a, that's an interesting uh, topic because we we talk about this a lot and how popular really black culture is right. and how you know right. you go you go to other countries they know rap they know jazz they know the sports heroes uh but but in this country it's you know we're kind of diminished and you hear that a lot in in the movies about the one of the reasons that there aren't there aren't as many uh you know colored star you know colored people who are stars in the movies is because uh, they don't think it'll translate overseas, right. or the, mm -hmm. they don't think white people will come see them. And to me, that it doesn't really make intellectual sense when you when you look around and you see that it's you know black people are all, have always been a yeah. draw in anything. Right. And, and did so so as, as far as the movie goes in this, was there any pushback in terms of it being about three black women or? Is there anything no. you have to offset that with? I know you. I know you have some. You know Kevin Costner. Yeah, in it. no, because I think, I, you know, I think internationally the response so far. I mean, we, we released a trailer. It seems really positive, but I think people are just focusing on like, gosh, this is a crazy historic moment that no one knew about, and these women affected it in a way. So I think that's that. So I think it'll have international appeal, and that's so far what we're what we're feeling. But but yeah, traditionally it's been hard for 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 movies. Um, that are predominantly um, African American or black faces, people of color uh, uh, overseas, because that's usually been the thinking. But you know, whether you know, and again, we'd have to go movie by movie to be like, okay, yeah, no, that was never going to work. That was never going to work. But I do think that the the link is that it has to have a universal theme. If it does not have a universal theme for everyone to relate to, then it probably won't do well. Mm, right, you know? and that's the case for a predominantly white movie as well. True. So it's really no difference. Yeah. Mm. You know, one, one of the things, too, um, and we're going to take another break, but uh, as I mentioned, we shoot at, at, at this place. We shoot, there are a lot of movies that are shot here. And one of the things that continues to blow me away, even Shakespeare, is the whiteness of the crew. Not not in front of the, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I mean, I'm like, you know, I mean, this, and, and I've been here for 20-something years, and there have been all these movies, uh, Russell Crowe shot with, but invariably all the crews yeah like, well, you may have like one brother in the middle of the street you know stopping the traffic, right, right. Or, or one guy at night yeah no night no it's protecting a, it's the parking a, space or something. no it's <laughs> a it's a real it's that's why it's important like the, it kind of bothers me a little bit when people talk about like they only want to talk about on the producer level or the director level and while those things are very important you really have to if you're going to have a real conversation about diversity in hollywood you got to look at everybody you got to look above the line and below the line right so you have to look to see all the people that are involved right to, to before you start complaining like well how come so and so it's like look at the whole picture and because it is very important it's not just you know um win thomas um amazing um production designer african-american man he's actually been nominated a few times i think for an oscar he worked on hidden figures um, I, I, you know, I remember having a conversation about um, with him and him, you know, just learning what he's been trying to do to bring more people of color into the production design right. field and just letting people know like, hey, this isn't, you know, you see that scene in a, in a movie that it just wasn't there. They came in and dressed it and they did all those things. But again, it goes back to what we were saying earlier. I don't think enough, um, you know, enough people in our community understand all the different types of jobs that are available. There's production design, there's cinematography, there's locations, um, you know, there's, uh, I mean, wardrobe, there's so many opportunities, but we, we're not getting the word out. And I think that's what we're trying to do, you know, slowly but surely, at least what we're trying to do at I Am Mother. And that's what you, and, that, and I think that at a certain point of, of your life, if you're a person of color, if you're black, that is basically your role. You know, at a certain yeah. point of, of of accomplishment, 
your role now is sort of running that third leg of the relay where you're handing off. For example, I'll tell companies when they come here, and I, sometimes I get in these debates, we run the sports program, I mean the re recreation program here on Saturdays, and they're set up. I'm like, you know what? I would like you to take our kids because we go to the Crip Chapel and we go to these places, but I like, I would love to see the kids look at how it's transformed, how, it's, how this Crip Chapel is transformed into, into this 1920 movie set. Right. And what are all the jobs? And, I, and I'm trying to get people as they come here to spend a, an afternoon mm -hmm. with the kids yeah. saying, listen, these are the grips. Uh, yeah. These are the guys who do this. Yeah. And, and the kids who are like 12, they say, man, we never even knew yeah, those they jobs existed. existed. Exactly. I always say like when people, um, you know, you always hear a lot of complaints about, you know, the kids in our community like, oh, they just want to be rappers or ball players. And I'm like, well, you know, First of all, that's not that's not what they're only saying. But for the ones that are saying that, a lot of times it comes from that's what they know as guaranteed success because they know somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who became a rapper or became a basketball player. Like those seem like tangible experiences and or, or goals because they've seen it done. But if they were to know, like you can you can make six figures being a graphic designer. Like right. if they knew those things and were exposed to it, then I think it would be a different story. Yeah, um, our guest is Mimi Valdez. Uh, she's the creative director. She wears a lot to have. <laughs> chief <to> creative <laughs> officer. <laughs> chief, what did I say? I think, I don't know, creative officer, something. Well, but, but, but here, bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> bottom line, exactly. <laughs> chief creative officer of I Am Other, uh, which is uh, Pharrell Williams Media Creative Collective. Um, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, uh, we wrap up. I want to continue this conversation because I want to talk about power and control. And at the end of the day, um, it's a cliche, but at the, that's kind of what life is about, is power. I mean, I mean, it's about more than that, but mm -hmm. it's, it's about power and control. Who controls what you see? Who controls yeah. how it gets there? Who green lights? And how can we as people of color do that? And the thing is, and, and we'll, we'll talk about when we come back, uh, I'm, I'm gonna, have you been following the Colin uh, Kaepernick thing? The, the uh, oh, oh, yes, yes, you. oh, yeah, yeah. This I was like, Bill wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, Bill no, 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 yes. one sports question, yeah, but, but you've no. been following that about the whole thing, yeah, because it, it's about power, control, mm -hmm. image, and other. So, we're gonna take a quick break and come back with the real story. <laughs> we're gonna come back in just two seconds on Bill Roden on sports and beyond. <laughs> Boy, it's dark in Harlem. You it's say dark, that. I know. Maybe I when you got pretty, here, it was bright. It was bright. Like, it, was bright. <laughs> no, it was dark, but it's okay because this is gentrified Harlem, and you'll be just fine. <laughs> Are you driving home? I'm not. Oh, I you're wish, not? Yeah, oh, okay. Not. We'll be, all right, we'll all figure right. out. Anyway. Uh, well, my, I would drive you home, but um, my, my Ford Mustang convertible is in the shop. In fact, I just visited the shop today in the Bronx, and... Um, Marty, what's Marty's name? But Marty is like he, shout out to Marty. Shout out to Marty, <laughs> who's gonna give me a real good price. But but he had the car. He had the he had like I've never seen. I love my Ford Mustang convertible, but he had the in, the engine was out, the transmission was out. Oh wow! It was almost like um, I should say, but my my, my wife had a cesarean, and it's, it's like when you. <laughs> <laughs> you, you just see the parts on the table. Oh, you wow. see, like, the, you know, it's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. right there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, that, was, that was interesting. Yeah. Um, but uh, my, my, my guest is Mimi Valdez. Um, and, uh, I, you know, before, before we were talking about me seeing the movie crews and how important it is, mm -hmm. it's fine to be the actors, but the power and control. And one of my questions, again, I spent 30-something years at the New York Times, uh, 26 is just writing basically opinion about mm -hmm. largely about power and control mm. and and how you get it and one of the things I'm wondering and this is kind of being having been a, a jazz critic then writing sports for mm -hmm. so long and, and now kind of things are converging where do you think you know you look at people like Pharrell you look at Jay-Z Beyonce mm -hmm. who seem and others I'm probably forgetting who seem to have a real firm grip on power and control, right. how to get it, how to keep it, how to use it. And I'm wondering, 
do you think that that the artists have black artists and artists of color have a firmer grasp and grip on power than what you perceive in sports where you still have a lot of black guys in the NBA and in football but no power I mean very 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 little power at all yeah well because they're part of you know they're quote unquote you know, owned by these sports teams, right? So you're representing someone, you know, you're representing yourself, but ultimately you're part of a team and you have to kind of, you know, they're leading <laughs> on what you can and can't do. Whereas music artists, you know, they, they have all the power, like they can decide what they want to do. Obviously, depending on, you know, who they are, they're still answering to a label. But once you get to a certain point, the, able, the label is kind of answering to you because you have all the power when you, you know, when you're Beyonce, you know, her record label's not telling her what to do. She's telling them what to do. Has that changed? I mean, it has it, is it changing? Because there was a time, remember we were talking a couple of weeks ago um, with um, a U.S. Kathy, who does a lot of jazz stuff. He's mm -hmm. And he was talking about back in the day when you had like the labels kind of controlled everything, you know, Atlantic or whatever. But he's saying now because the delivery system of music. Oh is yeah, changing. I think I think that's changing. I mean, you know, I I don't, I'm not super well versed in sort of all the record industry stuff and that part of um, sort of Pharrell's, you know, sort of life. But what I can say, just being, you know, from where I sit, and obviously my 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 uh, past as a music journalist and just kind of you know seeing everything, totally like like everything's Spotify, you know, title, uh, YouTube. Obviously, when that first came out, like all of that has changed um, the way we consume music. So of course, um, you know, there there's been a lot of debate about like. What do you need a label for if you can go and make your own deal with uh, iTunes and release your album? I mean, the big debate, I don't know if you guys know, with Frank Ocean, where I get, I can't, I don't understand how, but I guess he only had a two album deal with Def mm, Jam. Right. But what he did was he fulfilled, you know, his his obligation. And then with um, uh, Endless, uh, that, that second album he did, and then literally, I think, what, a week later, he released... Um, with iTunes. <laughs> with iTunes. Right. He released... Um, and went around. Blonde. And went and, around the label. Yeah, because uh, he didn't have a label. But right. I guess there's a question of, like, well, you just delivered one, you know, to fulfill your obligation. Isn't there supposed to be some sort of... I don't even know. I'm, like, speaking off of, like, just what I read. But mm -hmm. I'm like, wow, that's kind of amazing. That's so daring that he was just like, whatever. I'm just going to go ahead and make... Not only am I going to make my new deals directly with iTunes, I'm going to release it and kind of cannibalize that other record that I gave to you right. guys. Wow. Like, like it's kind of crazy. Like a week like ago. A video album, it was like right? a video album. And and look, that's amazing too. And I, I'm sure that it'll, it'll do well, but I can imagine as the label, they're probably like, what is going on? And I heard that supposedly they have banned now like artists doing streaming things. But again, I don't know how much they're going to be able to control that. Yes, uh, who, yeah, who could ban? I mean, how do you enforce? I guess, I, I guess, and this gets back to power control. If you got enough power, you could find yeah, a way to crush people. Totally, right. of course, yeah, you know? of course. I mean, it, it just again, like once you get to a certain point, I just don't know how useful labels can be. Labels definitely, you know, radio and labels definitely go hand in hand. So if you want that kind of success, right. I think they still have a very good stronghold on That's the radio right. industry right. but you know there's whether it's Lana Del Rey or Tyler the Creator I mean there's so many artists who are successful and make a lot of money and don't have any songs on the radio but it's, and it's also it's also goes back to that daring to be great thing because the people I mean I think they still the easier way to do it is to sign with a label basically sign your life away uh, you know cut, get some sort of advance uh, mm -hmm. but when you know, you have when when you're more confident in yourself and you and you have that dare to be great mentality, mm. it'll lead you. You know, it'll, yeah. the, the rewards are probably greater uh, down the line. Totally, but you got to remember. I mean, a lot of artists, you know, sign the deals because they like, they think they need the help from the label or they're like right. excited about it in advance exactly. or whatever it is. Yeah. But like Chance the Rapper, from the minute we heard him, everybody was trying to sign him. He was like, "I'm never signing to one See. of you guys. I'm going to keep all the control." Thank you very much. Right, right. And that's paying off now. Yeah, totally yeah. paying off. But you Best have thing to he ever could have did. Yeah, but you have to have that deep. You have to have that, and also the means to be able to do that, right? Oh. As well, um, you have to have the it's thunder here in Harlem <laughs> is raining, cats and dogs. Yeah, you you a have spillage to spillage of water. Yeah, a little spillage of water, but you have to have the, you know, 
the the confidence that you're going to be okay or you right. have to have, you know, parents that are going to support you or a, a, a spouse or a boyfriend, girlfriend, like family members, like, you know, if you're going to do it, because it, it may take a minute. It's not so easy to become a successful music artist, right? So it's hard. That's right. it's, it's, hard. it's it, anything in entertainment it, is, is, it, is really hard because... It has nothing to do with, you know, math is very reliable. If you're an excellent mathematician, you, you it's all good. Right. Whereas you can be an amazing singer and no one may never know your name. That's right. So, and, and, that's, and that's one thing I, I didn't ask you about when we were doing your biography, but there is this thing of grinding. We're talking about how totally. you, how do you, how, how are you sitting here yes. next to, first? and, and for all the stuff you talk about NYU and all that, at the end of the day, you got to do, <laughs> do the work. You got to do the work. You got to do the work. As Bevy Smith, um, Harlem native, um, she, uh, you know, she she has a show on Sirius. She's been on and had a show on Bravo. She's, you know, always said that. I get that phrase from her. Do the work. You know, mm -hmm. like all these, you know, young kids, especially coming up nowadays, everyone expects for it to happen overnight. And sure, mm -hmm. there's some people, there are exceptions to every rule, but the people who have longevity, people like myself that I cannot believe it's been almost 25 years mm, since really? I've been a media executive. That's wow. nuts. But that's because, you know, I do the work. Like, it's not it's not about all the fancy glamour. I could care less about all that stuff. It's exciting and it's nice and it can be, um, it could be, uh, you know, that's definitely fun, but ultimately, it's about the work and doing good work so that you can have the longevity and you can get these opportunities to continue to, you know, work in all these different mediums and fields. It's because you, you know, you've created a, you've established a reputation for yourself. Like the reason why I'm able to have success in Hollywood with these projects, not only, yes, I have a celebrity producing partner, which mm. obviously opens doors, but then I'm the one in the meeting, right? So, and That's it's right. because, it's it's my background as a journalist and my success with Vibe and Latina. So I I, you know I've 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 done something. So that's what helps me in in these meetings where it's like oh, okay you come with um, a pedigree you right, know right. so to speak. So and, and, that's and because, also the confidence. Well, and the confidence too because I'm like well you know I I've I, done something. Yeah, yeah, I've done something. <laughs> right, I'm not right, just you know right. the homie. You know, <laughs> like I'm just I'm, right. I'm I'm actually I actually have like a track record and 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 you can speak to people in my old industry who will be like, oh yeah, you know, I was nominated for an ASME and general excellence under you know like so it's I have those things that that can help. Um, you know, yes, we can get some doors open, but in order to continue the conversations, I have to do the work. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, what do you think? Th this is like our one sports question. And that's not a question, but we asked you before. Uh, you're following the Colin uh, mm -hmm. Kaepernick thing. What do you? What do you? What, what's your thing uh, for those of you? Well, Bill wrote on sports. You know about this, but about the brother decided that he wasn't going to sit out the national anthem. Or what, what do you think? I, I get it. I I didn't understand it. I mean, you know, this country has not been kind <laughs> to people of color. It's a country built on slavery, and you know, for people, anyone who's screaming, "Oh, he's not patriotic," it's like, but you know. Do you, I mean, do you understand yeah. why he would want to make that choice? I mean, right. I think if we're, if we're going to talk about, you know, you know, being a patriot and, and, and what it means to live in America and whatever, then it, then it's, then you have to, you know, freedom of speech, opinions, like all that is welcome here. And if he feels whether it was in that moment or whether it's forever in his life that he does not want to do that, he has that right. That's kind of part of what America is built on, right? Like right. people have the right to express their opinion. He doesn't agree with it. That should be fine. Right. And I think you hit it on the head when you say you get it because a lot of people don't get it. And I guess and, and I guess for the most part, if you're not in somebody's similar situation or shoes, you, you probably don't get it. Because I see, you know, a, you know, some white people saying, you know, the you know, first, first that he's not—he's being unpatriotic, but also coming out with excuses. Oh, he's just doing it for attention, or he, you know, his career is on the downs on the downside, so yeah, he's silly. doing it for attention. But um, you don't get it because yeah. anybody who gets it understands it's, it yeah. goes way. If, it's if way you've more lived than, in right. America as a person of color, you get it. Whether you agree with it or not, whether you're like, oh, well, you know what, I wouldn't cause waves, I would do that, whatever right. it is, whatever right. your way of you know, making a statement about 
the unfair treatment of po- of people of color in this country is like everyone has the right to everyone has their Protest levels of right. comfortability of how they want to express those things that man chose that moment to do it and he has that right because again if you have not lived in this country as a person of color then then i guess you don't know but i would hope just like my friends who aren't people of color they get it because right. they are sympathetic and are very clear about what this con- that this country has not always been fair to people of color so you know i would be very disappointed in any of my friends that that you know white friends that were like well that's crazy i'd be like what do you what <laughs> right. how did you get to be my friend yeah like i'd be like wait whoa let's let's uh, let's reevaluate this because again everybody in my circle is like yeah we, we get it and it's not a big deal you know and, and the people making it a big deal oh, so like i just feel like that's you know freedom of speech in this country freedom of opinions freedom of like let that man do what he wanted to do. He didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't, he didn't kill anybody. He didn't like nothing happened. Like right. it's just an opinion. That's all it right. is. He, and he, he has the right to do that. Exactly. He didn't kill any unarmed. Uh, yeah, exactly. Innocent people. You know, that's unpatriotic. <laughs> that, How that's, about that? That's unpatriotic. Um, but also, you know, the interesting thing too about your industry and this whole sports thing, for example, when you've got the, the Academy Awards and those kind of things, they don't play the national anthem. In other words, they don't, they don't start and play the national anthem and make right. everybody. Where in sports, it's been this crazy tradition where the game starts, and you know we've all sat through it, and 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 you politicize it by the very beginning by playing the national anthem. By, right. by, by, but it is interesting though in 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 your field where people have taken the opportunity of when they accept awards to make speeches, and that is a big deal. I mean, mm-hmm. in other words. Oh, yeah. You pick your you pick your spots, you know, and 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 you know, is it your right, your responsibility, to basically protest? And everybody, there are very few people who do. Whether it's in your industry, in sports industry, not everybody does. I mean, in fact, most people don't. Most people toe the line. Of course, because it's easier to to just toe the line and you know just live, just coast, and be like, you know, I'm not trying to get involved. But I encourage anyone when you feel something like that and you feel a, a need to like comment on whatever it is i don't i don't hold anyone accountable to i think everyone do whatever you want do whatever is comfortable i would hope that people you know especially people of color that are successful you do your part you give back like i hope that people do that but at the end of the day as americans we have the right to do whatever it is that we feel like it and especially when it comes to opinion you can't tell that man to do something he doesn't want to do so what that's right yeah and you know and well yeah so Boom. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, uh, our guest for the last hour, wow, uh, has been Mimi Valdez. Uh, you're proud Puerto Rican. Puerto Rican and Cuban. And Cu- oh, mm-hmm. and Cuban too. Mm-hmm. Puerto oh, Rican and Cuban. Yeah, wow. yeah, yeah. Where's, yeah. Where's, where's yeah, father, my dad's family's from Cuba and mom's family's from, um, my father passed when my mom was pregnant with me, so I grew up oh, mostly wow. with my mom's family, but I know my, you know, I'm close with my aunt from my dad's side. Mm-hmm. I've been, been three times. Wow. Yeah. What do you think about the normalization of... I'm interested to see how it all kind of plays out, you know? Like, it's, it's, I'm watching it very sort of like, okay, let's see, let's <laughs> see what this does. Right. But, um, I mean, it's such a beautiful country, and the people there are just amazing, and, and, yeah, I would just, you know, we'll see. I just hope it doesn't become like Las Vegas. I know. That <laughs> would be... Which I is, mean, which is almost you almost have to say like we talk about gentrification. Oh, yeah, that, that's the American way. And you're like, Listen, oh my God, here we go. You know, yeah. I mean, look, I, I, one thing I think Barbados. When I went to Barbados, they told me that they put a McDonald's there and it failed. And I thought that was like the funniest <laughs> thing in the world. That I was like, wow, like because the island is just like, no, nah, we don't want that. Like you know, we have our own. We have Chefet, I think, is there fast food restaurant. So I hope that it kind of has ends up being that sort of vibe where they, right. you know, keep their culture, keep what it is that they are and not become like, you know, all of that. We hope so. Yeah. <laughs> Mimi Valdez. Thank you very much. Mimi, thank is that you. you? Is that? No, it's a um, nickname. My real name is Michelle, but no one calls me Michelle. Okay. Not even my mom. Not even on the show. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Did your mom start that? It, no. It, it, funny story. I have a cousin also named Michelle. I was supposed to be named um, since my father had died when my mom was pregnant. His name was Miguel. 
my father's family got to the fam- um got to the hospital first so they convinced my mom to name me after my dad and then when my grandmother got there she was like what i'm never calling her michelle i'm calling her mimi and then that was it okay <laughs> that's okay. it yeah brother sister <laughs> no just me only child, only child. yeah okay. only child raisa my daughter did you hear that only child, <laughs> only see child. it works hey mimi thank you so thank much thank you so much such an honor to be on the show with you guys and with you of course obviously you know as a fellow journalists, I'm in awe of your career, and thank you for having me. Oh, no, the <laughs> pleasure is ours. Augusto is me. Mimi Valdez is a creative uh, officer, chief creative officer of I Am Other. Um, and listen, the big thing is, uh, in January of 2017, you know, you got to support, you got to start talking it up, the upcoming uh, movie called Hidden Figures, a phenomenal, phenomenal movie of untold uh, and I'll tell a story of three black women who kind of made it happen. Um, so, sure did. <laughs> yeah, a lot, lot, a lot of love, a lot of respect, great accomplishment. Thank you. Really great, man. Thank well, you. This is really, really tremendous. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much, Pat. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> come back, as they say, <laughs> tomorrow. <laughs> hey, thank you so cool, much. Thank you. All right, everybody, we'll be back. God bless. We'll see you on the other side in Harlem, USA. Bill Roden on sports. listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube you know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks that's what our podcast people are the worst brings you with each episode i'm rachel And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.